Hey there, party people. This is Queer Watching. I'm Jesse, here with my best pal, Brianna, and today we're talking about Knock at the Cabin, which is a 2023 American apocalyptic psychological horror film written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, who wrote the screenplay from initial draft from an initial draft by Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman. It is based on the 2018 novel, The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul G. Tremblay, the first adaptation of any of his works. And it stars Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, Ben Aldridge, who was in Spoiler Alert, which we covered. Go check out that episode. Mm -hmm. Nikki Amuka Bird, Abby Quinn, and Rupert Grint. Brief synopsis is in the film, a family of three are vacationing in a remote cabin, but are suddenly held hostage by four strangers who demand they sacrifice one of their own to avert the apocalypse. Knock at the Cabin premiered in New York City at Rose Hall January 30th, 2023, and was theatrically released in the United States on February 3rd, 2023 by Universal Pictures. Um, which is actually pushed up from the original date of February 17th so they could avoid competition with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania. Probably a good move. Um, mm-hmm. And so far, the film has received uh, pretty mixed reviews. I would say more positive. And then it's grossed around $21 million. So decent opening. So consider this your spoiler warning for Knock at the Cabin. I'm sure we'll be spoiling it. Brianna, you saw this today, mere hours ago. Uh, what are your first thoughts on Knock at the Cabin? My first thoughts are complicated because so I didn't do like I always say I didn't do any additional research on this film before going to see it, but I had seen the trailer multiple times and it really drew me in mostly because it starred a queer couple uh, and typically in psychological thrillers and horror films at You know what? I shouldn't say typically because I don't watch that shit. But normally in mainstream movies, you don't see queer people being the main characters unless it's like specifically for the queer community, looking at bros and stuff like that. So that really drew me in for it. And then M. Night Shyamalan, I really enjoy his plot twists. And so I was excited to see what twist he would throw into this movie. And I think that was to my own detriment because I kept expecting there to be a mind-blowing, never saw that coming type of perspective. And that didn't happen. This movie is very much what you see in the trailers. And if that's interesting to you, then definitely go and see it. But it's not anything more. And that was disappointing to me because I really wanted, like I was paying attention to all the like the background scenes and like relationships and things like that because I was like, what will be the key to the big reveal? And then there was no big reveal. So scale of one to 10, I'd say like a six. It wasn't awful. The acting was great. Uh, I appreciated a lot of the decisions on camera angles and intimacy. And I, I liked the movie overall, but it just wasn't, wasn't one of his best, in my opinion. What about you, Jess? Yeah, I agree with parts of what you said. I, I do think it's very straightforward. And Shyamalan is known for twists. But maybe he's just made enough movies that the twist in that one, this one is that there is no twist. I don't know. I had that thought in the movie theater. I was like, oh, that's how he's going to get us by not getting us. <laughs> um, Boo. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. I don't know. I liked it. I think it kind of reminded me of Megan in some ways in that it's 
it like checks a lot of boxes um but it's pretty straightforward and kind of if you were going to be like i think this is going to happen that's kind of just what happens i don't think it's something that's like revolutionary like you said the cinematography is very good there's it feels like there's very thoughtful face shots and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, yeah, the way that the people are shot was great. Mm -hmm. I, as someone who's a little squeamish, didn't mind some of the pull-aways for some of the murders. That did not bother mm -hmm. me. Yeah, I, I would say I liked it. I, For me, like, I, some of what you're saying is still very true. Like, it's not amazing, but, you know, I'd give it a B-minus kind of thing. Um, I had a good yeah. time. Yeah, I, I got great popcorn. I do have one critique. I entered this movie terrified because the previews were all for like really scary fucking horror films. And so I was like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? I was like holding my scarf up by my neck as like it started because I was convinced I was going to be like screaming and jumping and I was like, this was this was not a good movie to go see by myself. And within the first like 15 minutes, I was calm. But I was like, maybe you should think about the previews that you set. So not really a film comment, but just my own comment. Yeah, I think that something that also makes the film more balanced is is the the love of this family. Like, yes, it's a horror film and it's a terrible situation. We're about to ask some big questions like is this real or, you know, as an audience member, what would I do? How believable is this? Things like that. Um, what do I owe humanity, right? Maybe if you want to take it to the next level, but part of what brings some of that lightness, both like literally and figuratively is the love of this family. Like there's no question that these two men are deeply in love and committed to each other and have the same, you know, love for their daughter, Wen, who is adorable and like a ridiculously mm -hmm. great child actor. <laughs> I was like, dang, she's killing it. So I think that was part of why I really liked it, because this, I thought it was a believable queer couple. And I thought that their this familial love was was pretty touching. Yeah. And I mean, I I really enjoyed Ben Aldridge in spoiler alert and i think he did a phenomenal job i thought their relationship was believable i personally feel like the standout for the cast was dave bautista uh i think I he did a phenomenal job and i don't remember when but recently he confirmed that what's his character in guardians guardians of the galaxy drax that Drax was not going to be coming back because he wanted to pursue uh, other roles and specifically more dramatic roles in his acting career. And I think this movie showed really well the breadth of talent that he has. I think he did a good job holding and conveying a lot of emotion while trying to be, like I felt as if he was trying to be calm and practical, but also conveyed a sense of urgency and desperation very well and prior to this movie that's not what i had gotten from him as an actor so i think he crushed it as leonard and i would have liked him to have been my second grade teacher because can you imagine just like that man with all those tattoos uh okay i'll get into why i think he was cast for that role later but yeah i think he killed it yeah i absolutely agree i this is perhaps a boring comparison but a lot of people compare him to the rock because they're both ex-wrestlers 
And I would say that as having seen this movie, I would say that David Bautista might be a better actor than <laughs> The Rock. I know. I know. Maybe it's a big claim, but um, I think it is a big claim for somebody who fine. doesn't put comedies on the same tier as dramas. He is comedy gold. He's not he's not as good of a drama actor as Dave Bautista. I don't know. Drax is pretty funny sometimes. I, I, we will give it some time, right? <laughs> We're comparing a huge body of work to a smaller one. So give it some time. But I, I feel comfortable saying that after seeing this movie, I think he did a fantastic job. He really, he really did. I think if I have like a surface level critique that as someone who plays with tech or has worked in tech a little bit, it doesn't track to me that no cell phones work. There's no cell service. There's no Wi-Fi. But we can get all the cable news stations, no problem, to the TV? It's different wires, she says, with absolutely no degree of technology. And, like, maybe there are some things that I don't understand, but when they, like, put the TV on and the cable worked just fine, I was like... Okay, but if the cable works, usually the Wi-Fi works. I'm a little confused about mm. the tech of this and how that's going. But, you know, maybe that's just something we have to go with. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. fine. I got mm-hmm. on board, but I was usually like, wait, but when, what? This doesn't at my house <laughs> when these things go out, this thing doesn't work. So, <laughs> OK, but that's OK. But is that because that the cable that you have is connected to your Internet or do you pay for actual cable where it has nothing to do with the Internet? As long as the electricity is working, your cable should work. You mean like that that flimsy thing that you got me that gets the free cable? Are you saying they had one of those? That or, you know, just like basic cable that people that parents still purchase and still pay for. Oh, like a dish or something? Yeah. But but it's not it's not streaming. Jesse, the cable you grew up with had nothing to do with the internet and it was still cable. People still pay for cable. Kevin yes, still but pays for cable. Ours was connected to the phone line. They were all in a package. So I think they were in a bundle. I don't think they were actually connected to each other. I think the packages that they paid for it okay, all together. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. I just <laughs> I have that question. It is, it, it is a good <laughs> a good thought, which also then towards the end where they like are finally starting to believe them that like, oh, maybe this really is the apocalypse. I was like, you know what? Everything up until this point could still be staged. It wasn't until they went outside and saw the plane falling from the sky like just before uh, they decided who to kill that I was like, okay, so maybe this isn't fake. Because every, like, no, they had no idea of knowing what they were being told, if what they were being told was true, because you could have just recorded all of that. You could have made it up. So Yeah, I mean, that is some pretty intense lengths to have gone to, but you're absolutely right. It is possible that all of that happened in that way. Yeah, until you go outside and, you know, the skies get really dark And all the Mm -hmm. lightning comes, right? And I thought the planes falling out of the sky was actually probably the scariest scene for me. Just the way that they all stopped and kind of free fall and like in no organic like direction. Like, I don't know. It was kind of scary, honestly. I thought 
because that's just i think one aspect of like apocalypse stuff that i don't necessarily think about is like all the planes falling out of the sky Mm -hmm. um and maybe it's been done in in an apocalypse movie that i've missed but that one was one that kind of stuck with me and like i I did have a moment in the theater where i was like oh like i could this is this is very interesting and a little bit scary yeah and i mean not for nothing it wouldn't take an apocalypse to have that happen it would just take a well-planned cyber attack and this could be because i've been married to a cyber person for too long but when that started happening i was like None of this yet is convincing me that this is an apocalypse because not for nothing, the state of our world is one step away from any of these natural disasters happening at any time. And one begets one begets another. Not for nothing, everything is a perfect perfect balance. And so if something goes out of balance, then that's going to throw everything else into whack. And then you have human actors doing cyber security or cyber attacks. And so, yes, I do believe we could see something like that where all the technology fails in airplanes and not have it be an apocalypse. So I'd be like, nope. Yeah, I think that's part of why it was so scary. Because it's like, oh, no, this could happen. And I just never really considered it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also didn't love as someone that just moved from Oregon that of course the earthquake was like right there off the coast of Oregon. I was like, oh, of course, it's right here. <laughs> I hear you. And as two people who grew up in the Pacific Northwest, from at least maybe I won't speak for you, but from the time that I was born, I have been prepped for the big one. The big one yeah. that is going to start a tsunami that is going to kill every single person you love. Because even if you're living on the inside of Puget Sound, it won't be enough to protect you. So I was like, yes, this might be scary to people who don't live in the Pacific Northwest. But for Pacific Northwesterners, it's a it's a fact that we live with every single day. Yeah. And honestly, maybe even so far as West Coast in general, because I feel like California is also like, well, we have all kinds of earthquakes all the time. So, yeah, yeah I would say like, yeah, you're right. The big one is definitely something that's mentioned around here a lot. But I will say we might be prepped as far as like can make small talk, but also as far as like, did I actually prepare? No, I'm terrible at that. So I should get my shit yeah. together and <laughs> get an yes. earthquake kit. <laughs> This also was a difficult movie for me to watch to a certain extent because I had just listened to, I think it was either Up First or The Daily. It was The Daily podcast this morning and they were talking about the earthquakes in uh, Syria and Turkey and just the life loss there. And so like I was already going into this movie with like natural disasters and human life loss on my mind. And then to see it, I was like, oof, this is... This would actually be terrifying if I was living through this. Speaking of which, if we put ourselves into the characters. So the family is Ben Aldridge as Andrew, Jonathan Groff as Eric, and Kristen Kristen Quee as Wen. They are faced with this unimaginable decision. And I'm curious, Jesse. What was your initial thought about what you would do if you were in their shoes? And was it the same at the end of the movie? Mm, That's a good question. I think in this movie, 
more than a lot of other movies asks you to ask yourself that question. It's very like, I don't know how you watch this and don't think, what would I do? At the beginning, I was very team Andrew, if you will. Like when he was like, Mm -hmm. y'all are nuts. You're having a crisis. You got in a chat room. You tossed this around together. And now this is a ridiculous conspiracy theory. Like, get the fuck out. You know, if I get untied, I'm going to try to kill all of you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was very on the exact same page. I was like, yeah, this is I think if anyone invades your home, you're going to obviously not trust them. Man, when the situation, like the the rules, if you will, of the situation are presented, I was very at first like, "Cool, so me and my family are gonna walk the earth alone. It's gonna be lonely and different, but like we can adapt. We got this." Like, mm-hmm. I was very that, but also I have a huge hero complex, so I already knew going into this movie, the actual choice for me is my partner's just gonna shoot me because I'm gonna trust that I picked someone that can raise our kid you know as good as they can without me and i don't know that's just what i would obviously do it doesn't Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel that complicated to me um but maybe it's just some good old-fashioned toxic masculinity of like no the man needs to die i don't know (laughs) so then Going back to what you had said during the old guard when you were saying, like, there's never a reason to shoot your best friend. There's never a reason to harm or kill or betray your family. You are now saying that you wouldn't shoot your family, but you would cause them irreparable damage in order to save more than just them. Wow, that's quite an interpretation of what I just said. I think I said. Nope, that's exactly what you just said. Okay, sure. I guess. With the one caveat being, I'm saving the rest of fucking humanity, Brianna. <laughs> uh-huh. If you're in that one and only situation, I would allow them to shoot me. Yeah. I'm not going to shoot them. That's not going to happen. I don't know if you could be on my apocalypse team if I know that I think my we've life established is comparable. I'm a terrible choice. I am a terrible choice. Don't you pick are. the squeamish person who's out of shape. You're like, so no, no, no. Absolutely. Pick me for the modeling competition, not the apocalypse. (laughs) But what if it's a drag off to save the end of the world? Then should I pick you? You're thinking way too hard about this. I thought I was. Do I have to wear a dress? (laughs) I'd rather not. (laughs) I don't want (laughs) to. Just go ahead. I still don't think I'm the guy for that. (laughs) I think there are better choices. (laughs) Where's Gottmik? Pick Gottmik. I don't know that reference, but okay. Okay, that's fine. This question was was difficult for me, and it's something that I have mulled over a lot because, like, I was Team Andrew up until after the movie. Like, not for nothing, I part of me really does think that I wouldn't be able to do what Andrew did. Because not for nothing, this is how humans deal with global tragedies all the time. It doesn't feel real because it's not to people that we know. It's not. So we're able to numb ourselves to it. And so there is a world where I can imagine myself numbing that amount of loss because it's not people that I know and care about. On the flip side, though, they were talking about believing in something that's bigger than yourself. I don't believe in God. I'm not a religious person, but I believe in people. 
And so this idea of like not being able to sacrifice the few for this greater thing that I believe in, which is people, that gets called into question really, really quickly. And then on top of that, Andrew's defense of like why he shouldn't kill Eric is like, these people don't deserve it. They commit horrible acts of violence against each other. They are terrorizing the world. They're, they do things that are non-defendable. And part of me is in agreement with that. I'm like, yeah, if the apocalypse is really coming, it's not like the apocalypse is here to cleanse the earth of bears. It is here to get rid of the humans that are here. So who am I to stop that from happening? Because humans are terrible. But then the empathetic social worker part of me comes up and is like, but there's redeemable aspects and humans are great. And like, think about all the potential and happiness. So it's really, it's an unresolved question for me because it really does make me think in this situation, where would my allegiance lie more? Would it lie with the people that I love or would it lie with the potential for mankind? And I don't know. It is a tough question. I think in a lot of ways, the movie moves at a quick enough pace that we sort of, even our characters don't have, even though it's like a day-ish, even they don't have a lot of time to really ask that. Especially because like every couple hours, someone's dying. So I feel like they're in a constant state of like, (laughs) I don't know, adrenaline and trauma that they can barely even try to ask that question because even at the end when it's like asked and answered I, I did feel like it was a little bit rushed and quite a bit explainy um for me what part do you mean um so like when jonathan groff eric the character eric mm-hmm. he starts talking about daddy the f- eric Ugh, why do you do that <laughs> that was his name it was daddy eric and daddy andrew yeah i'm gonna call him eric and andrew because i'm an adult Eric is, he's kind of like, oh yeah, they were the four horsemen, right? This person was so-and-so and and this person was so-and-so. I was like, wow, this is really explaining. We probably could have found a way to show this a little more than just explain it to everyone at the end, put it in this nice apocalyptic story format almost, um, and just, you know, almost tie a bow on it. So that part, I, I did scoff a bit in the theater when he was like, they're the four horsemen. It's a hard question, I think, even if you are religious, because the Adrian, it's hard to know who to believe already, right? It's We can't believe politicians. We can't believe the media. We can't necessarily believe our employers. Like, There's so much distrust between all of these different entities that it's hard to know what is truth. And then on top of that, truth is so subjective. So... Even if you are religious, I think it's hard to know where to draw the line at what is and is not believable. So, and and we do see that with Daddy Eric. In that, up until like for a while, he's siding with Andrew, and he's like, "Yes, I'm with you. I believe you. I think these people 
are crazy. And then he has a feeling. He sees a figure and his belief is tapped into. And despite there still potentially being evidence that this is not real, he goes with his belief and he becomes at peace while we still see Andrew struggling to accept this. And so I think that was like the, because in my interpretation of them was that Andrew was at the very least agnostic, like did not believe in God. And Eric was the the believer of at least something higher because when they're adopting, when they're like, you can pray, I won't say anything. And I'm like, obviously big relate, yep. but that, that means that like at a certain point, you're just going to need to believe. And that's what Eric wound up doing, which leads me to my question. Do you think it always had to be Eric who was going to die? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I think kind of for what you're saying, because of his belief, I think he it's also it, it's more about the empathy to me, right? Like, even as these people tried to explain their story and why they're here, and um, I get, it kind of seemed like they were humanizing themselves. It kind of felt like they were just doing it because Batista told them to. But um, anyway, Eric, he was the only one really listening. And Andrew was kind of just there being hostile, being like, shut the hell up. We're not interested in your life. Untie us, right? Very focused on that. Whereas I felt like Eric, you, whenever it shows him, he's like, looking at them and sympathizing with them and listening to them in a way that I think the movie sets him up to be that. I don't know. I can't, I can't picture the other version I think is why I lean into that, but maybe it's just cause it's not the one I saw. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that they wound up sacrificing the person that believed that humans were redeemable uh, and wound up sacrificing the person who believes in something after death uh because sacrifices throughout the bible i won't say common but they happen right yes and so i feel like that also gives solace of like okay if i'm gonna be sacrificed then at least i'll be sacrificed for this greater good it's still not easy but there's more meaning to that whereas like i didn't necessarily believe the future he was envisioning for his husband and his daughter if he was gone was realistic because I think that asks Andrew to be a different person than he is because we see who he became or the way he adapted after the after he was a survivor of a hate crime. And so I think that that was a way of giving us hope but was not going to be the actual reality. I also, the idea of like listening with empathy, yes, but also the boundary of like skepticism. I don't necessarily think that Eric wasn't empathetic. I think that Eric, sorry, I don't necessarily think that Andrew, that's what I want to say, wasn't, wasn't empathetic. I think that he was skeptical because things that he, people that he loved were being threatened and because as he said, he's seen people do horrible things and so you go in like you have to earn my empathy and you have done nothing to earn my empathy because this is a way of protecting myself and protecting my family whereas like we get the impression that Eric just gives empathy and understanding 
to whomever. And that can, as a person who's experienced that, be to the detriment of yourself. Yeah, I do think that both of these characters are incredibly believable, both of the ways that they handle it. In some ways, I think that's why I shifted from one to the other, because both of them make so much sense to me. I think I just it comes down to uh, I don't know that I have it in me to shoot my partner. So I then that leaves only one other option. <laughs> uh-huh. It it would just be brutal. Oh yeah, this four is, horsemen. This is an impossible decision, right? This is like Sophie's they choice. The daughter. Uh no, no. Also, I think that people would hate that movie. You know, the movie where the gay dads kill a kid. Yeah, that's a hard selling line. <laughs> I hear you, and I agree. I think the queer community would have had a huge backlash, but Including also that would me. be some. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan, like, twist thing of, like, oh, actually, this daughter is the spawn of Satan, and that is what is bringing the apocalypse around, and so blah, blah, blah. Like, you, but you could totally see him taking a movie in that direction. That's more Aronofsky to me, but. Really? Okay. Well, we talked about him already, but the Four Horsemen, what do you think their identities had to do with the human characteristic that they represented? I don't know how to answer that because my understanding of the four horsemen is different than the ones that they presented here. Okay. So the four horsemen come from the book of revelations in the new Testament. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are conquest, war, famine, and death. Whereas (laughs) the old Testament are sword, famine, wild beasts, and plague. So we kind of see like plague and stuff. But to me, the Sabrina character as a healer isn't really a four horsemen of the apocalypse to me in the way that they presented her. Yeah. So I guess I'd be very curious as to how they got from any of those four horsemen that you just described to the four horsemen that they presented because it was Rupert Grint as Malice. It was Abby Quinn as Nurturer. It was Nikki Amuka Bird as healer and then Dave Bautista as guidance. And those sound like, with the exception of malice, more like human characteristics mm-hmm. and not things that are going to bring upon the apocalypse. So in some ways, they gave us the opposite. So we could say that if one of the horsemen is famine, the opposite mm-hmm. of that would be the nurturing, right? The Adrian mm-hmm. character played by Abby Quinn. And if war is one of them, would healing be the opposite of war? Maybe or malice. I mean, if we're going for opposites, yes, it'd yeah. be healing. Yeah, but so Batista would be the big one, which usually in the Four Horsemen is death. But if we say guidance, is that saying life? Uh, doesn't totally track. I mean, to guiding me. them through the different the difficulty of choosing who dies. Yeah. Okay. So it's essentially the inverse of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I mean, and if I mean if Rupert Grant is malice, that one doesn't track to me. But the other three do. So maybe I, they didn't so, super track to me, even when they were explained. I was like, oh, this is now they did in Dexter. I don't know. <laughs> so. 
I mean, you just made a jump that I can't go with because I've only seen like three seasons of Dexter. That's but fine. so you didn't think about the actors' identities and how they informed what role they were playing in the Four Horsemen. What do you mean? Yeah. So so to me, it made a lot of sense who was each horseman. We had Rupert mm-hmm. Grint as Malice. He's a white man. There you go. Uh, we had Abby mm-hmm. Quinn, a white mean. woman, as the nurturer. We had she was a Nikki mom. Amuka Bird. Yeah, she was a mom. Mm-hmm. Nikki Amuka Bird, a black woman, as a healer, and as a nurse. A nurse. Mm-hmm. Typically... Mm-hmm women of color are in those fields. And then of course we had Dave Bautista who is a white guy who's very powerful, who's very strong, who looks like somebody that you would follow in a crisis situation. And I think that if like how I would interpret why that actor was there would be different if let's say Nikki was malice um, because then I'd be reading that as like, okay, what's our understanding of a black woman in society that we have cast or categorized her as malice. So yeah, that's what came up for me with that. And then the, I also wondered, cause okay, I was talking to my wife about this and she was like, don't ever put me in that seat because I would a hundred percent say, let the world burn. And I was like, lol, that makes sense. Also, though, how would changing the identities of the family change the outcome of the story? Because both Eric and Andrew are white men. And how do you think that shapes their experience and their decisions in this movie? I think if they were a straight couple, it would be pretty boring because it would just be like, again, the guy being like, just let her kill me and we'll be done. Right. It'll like the Mm -hmm. boring old dad's got to save the family but yes this having two dads that idea of dad's got to save the family isn't so simple so Mm -hmm. i liked that i thought it made it more interesting and not so heteronormatively predictable even though in some ways it was still became as we got to know the characters a little more predictable right like especially as people who watch movies in any kind of analytical way you can see the seed being planted Mm -hmm. along the way right like oh he's the religious one He's got a concussion, so his he's not being believed as much. Yeah, you can you can see it coming, but yeah, I thought it was a good choice and and made it more interesting. Yeah, I was curious, like because not I mean yes, they did go through the hate crime, and Andrew's parents have not accepted him as a gay man, and that is trauma. But for all intents and purposes, they we are not shown that they've lived a very like traumatic life and so i wonder what the decision would have been to save the world if somebody in that couple had been from a more marginalized identity like if it had been a trans woman if it had been a refugee if it had been someone who'd experienced enough trauma and violence or enough of the world to then be like okay no i don't want to save it and like how our identities shape our understanding of with of if the world is worth saving. So do you think the outcome of one of the partners being sacrificed was inevitable regardless of character identities? This feels like one of those situations that you don't know what you'll do until you're in it. 
And like, yeah, I'm sure there are some more skeptical people that would never believe this and it would end up just being that family surviving. Sure. It depends on the person. There are probably some really gullible people that would shoot their partner after the first murder. I mean, also, if they were an, an unhappy couple who like hated each other, I'm sure there's lots of couples who wish they could be in this situation. Get off scot-free with murder because then the apocalyptic world just covered it all up. Hypothetically, in a fire that's not strong enough to destroy all of the evidence, but still. Yeah, I guess also in like post-apocalyptic situation, the rules aren't being enforced because there's a hundred more important things to deal with, you know? Right? Like, I'm not sure that the detectives of the world are going to worry about this one cabin in the middle of nowhere that burnt down versus, I don't know whoever brought the planes down or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So not, I briefly had that thought when this movie was going on of like, is he worried about getting charged with murder? And then I was like, wait, no, this is post-apocalyptic like states of people are <laughs> in huge trouble. So I don't think yes. they're worried about one <laughs> forest murder at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I felt the saddest for when, obviously, because it's not like she doesn't know what happened. She knew the situation. Only one dad came back and the apocalypse stopped. So I think she knows what what happened. And, and that's that's a tough thing, right? Like both of them are they got they got a journey. But I also would like to think that that futuristic vision of them you know just going to dinner and looking happy is still a possible reality and i think the movie tried to give us that when they played the song that was playing when eric was in the car with them yeah they tried to give the like no i'm not ready to have joy okay yes i am no i'm not yes i am and they both were ready um so yeah i think they tried to give you hope in a situation that would be hopeless yeah, I think so, too. And I mean, we saw that some other people survived and things were getting better. So, yeah, they did give us a little bit more of a happy ending, I guess. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of Rupert Grint's character and his backstory with the dads? Did you think that was relevant? Mm. I guess kind of right. It's like one more thing that's going to add to their suspicion and their distrust, because why would you ever trust someone that assaulted you in, you know, a previous time like ever? This is sort of a side note, but Rupert Grant's great. His American accent is bad. Like, just let him be British. OK, this. No, <laughs> just let him be British and we'll all be happier for it. But yeah, I had a feeling he wasn't in the movie very much like even from the start um, when he showed up and was like, it didn't seem like he was quite aligned with everybody else as much. And it was clearly an angry guy. I was like, he's going to be the first to go because no one will be Mm -hmm. upset about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was definitely not something that they showed in the trailer. I didn't know that the horsemen were going to be killing themselves. Uh, So that was, I guess a twist. Yeah. I've read some stuff that are like in the twist. I'm like, Oh, I, didn't see one of those, but, you know, a lot of movies have different levels of reveals. So if it feels like a certain level of a reveal, perhaps it feels like a twist. But 
I did think it was, I mean, I realized this after, but we first meet when, while she's catching grasshoppers and grasshoppers mm-hmm. are locusts, which is a plague and they were all around the cabin. And so that is also, I assume, supposed to symbolize a plague is coming. So I thought that was cool. Look at that little symbolism. Yeah, I had the same thought. I mean, I went biblical first because locusts are what um, get sent in the Bible sometimes. But but yes. I thought it was very telling that the fate of the world fell into the hands of people with marginalized identities and like that it was up to them that they had to essentially forgive the world and be the bigger people in order to save humanity when they would have been in every right to not. And how oftentimes in actual life, that is the case that the people who are marginalized have to like sacrifice things or accept things or forgive things in order to allow the world to move forward. So I thought that was really on the nose and I feel like maybe intentional with casting two Mm -hmm. queer people, because I don't actually know if the main characters in the original book are gay men, but yeah, I thought that was very telling and the privilege should be nice to us. Did you say the privilegers should be nice to us? I did. I did have a little <laughs> mouth thing. I'll repeat that. The privileged should be nice to us because the fate of their world could rest in our hands. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure that their success and money makes them think otherwise at a certain point. So, you know. I mean, yes, we've seen Don't Look Up. Yep. Um, There was a nice little touch when they were doing the adopting and the doctor asked like for his wife and he said oh this is my wife's brother well you know they clearly had planned it and andrew wasn't upset about it that was the plan all along kind of thing but you know they that kind of stuff definitely happens and sometimes that's what you have to do to to get to be able to have children as queer couples so i thought that was a nice little touch it wasn't something they like really honed in on was just one little thing the the ultimate like emotion of the scene was about them getting a baby, but it was a nice little touch to just as a gentle reminder that like, yeah, this is, this is still a struggle. So. Yeah. One kind of like fun thing about it, I guess that ties it into some of the other thing. Well, one other thing that we've reviewed is that this script was originally on the blacklist, which we've talked about a little bit um, on, I think it's anything's possible was also on the blacklist, which is uh, a, popular list where they'll put scripts that um, people feel should be made into movies but haven't been made into movies yet so that's kind of a fun little thing i like to track stuff on the blacklist so kind of tie in that one man since we're talking about m night Shyamalan, what movies of his are your favorite and or which ones did you feel like this one reminded you of any of his other movies no no um, no, I don't feel like it reminded me of any of his other movies. My favorite movies by him are Unbreakable and then Split. Great amount of psychological thriller, great amount of I was not expecting that to happen, and phenomenal acting. And I would say that this movie's nowhere near either of those movies in regards to acting or surprise. I did really appreciate, like, I would say, like, in Unbreakable, 
everything was dark and that was very intentional. And in this movie, there were so many close-up scenes where you were just seeing people's faces or like just seeing their torso and con- which helped convey a lot of like intimate emotion. And so always great, great camera work in his movies. But what about you? Yeah, I I think this one reminded me of Signs a little bit, but mostly I think because it's fairly contained and about a family, um, a lot of Signs takes place at their house and, you know, as a a dad and some kids. So I think just that some of the same like themes and feelings were evoked there. Yeah, for me, Emily Tremont's kind of hit and miss. I also like Split and Unbreakable, but I think his last Airbender movie is one of the worst things I've ever seen. I also think After Earth is pretty bad. But, you know, that can't win them all kind of thing. He's made some really good ones. Obviously, Sixth Sense is a classic. So, ah, yes. Also great movie. Thank you for joining us today on Queer Watching. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at queer underscore watching. And if you want to send us an email with recommendations or feedback, you can at queerwatching at gmail.com. 